0: We are in John chapter 12 again this morning, so if you want to turn there, I titled this message Love, was really amazed at how Jesus really walks into this day. I've always looked at Jesus kind of loathing this day in a, a lament, writing in on a lament, but I don't know if that's the truth as I looked at this account in, in John, because I think there's, there's periods of lament in this story, but there's also periods of joy because Christ keeps his eye on a redeemer, and he keeps his eye on the prize, and he is so excited that he's going to redeem the children of Israel and thus the world that he walks into time town, and man, I think if there's ever a time that you would lose hope in ministry in general, this would be the time. So let me explain this because John... If you look back at John chapter 2 verses, verse 25, Jesus knew what was in a man. meaning he knew what they thought, he knew how they felt. and so he also knew in John chapter six, when they tried to make him king, and he wasn't going to do that. and so he gives them a hard teaching. <laughs> That's one way to get out of being a te- uh, the king. So he knew what was in the hearts of the people and he, that he was riding by. He knew the time, had come to glorify the Father. He says that in this passage in John chapter 12. And he knew he was going to die, and yet he rode into town. I don't know if there was ever a time that Jesus, while he was alive, that he argued with being crucified. He knew it was going to have to happen. He was like a lamb before the shearer is silent, so was Christ. He did some amazing things that day, um, even before he died on the cross and rescued us from the present evil age. I think it was pretty just awesome and when it comes down to it, this is our main this is our main uh, goal here today for this, the sermon. Jesus never changed his message when he was on mission. Let's follow these examples in three ways in faith and hope and love, and we're going to look at the first Part, um, we're going to read 12 through 19 of John chapter 12. It says, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. And they shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it and fulfilled the prophecy, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was the fulfillment of prophecy, but after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. See, even God's revealing scripture to the disciples as they read together in the temple courts and things. Verse 17, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb and raising him from the dead and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Jesus remained faithful. Jesus remained faithful. He remains faithful to two different people, or two different things, maybe. Um, They happen to be people in this. one. The first is to the people, to the Jewish people. And I would ask the question, who is it hard when it comes to people to remain faithful? I think... Being a Bears fan, I fit this very well. Um, I can remain very loyal to the Bears, but it's hard during most of their seasons because they usually have more L's and W's. We'll see. It's the excitement of being a Bears fan. We'll see this year, right? Um, But I'm a very fickle Bears fan. So when they're winning... Oh, man, I'm excited about them. And when they're not, well, it's easy to, to go a little long on Sundays because those noon games, well, we can, we can miss those every once in a while, right? So who is it hard to remain faithful to? Somebody that hates you? Not necessarily. I think somebody, you kind of know where that person stands. They don't like you. Okay. Um, it's not your choice, but at least they tell you where you stand with them. But a fickle crowd, a fickle crowd is hard to remain faithful to a fickle crowd because they love you at one time, and then they disappoint you another time. So this crowd is in the love phase of Jesus. They're six days out of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and in six days they're going to crucify him and say, prove it, prove that you are the Messiah, prove that you can um, be be strong enough, because if you can't handle us, then you can't handle Rome. And Jesus says, I can handle you and Rome together. And I will show you by being strong, by remaining on this cross. So in this case, the crowd is fickle because they don't know which way they'll go. And Jesus, he, used, he showed us this back in John chapter 6. They're trying to force him to become king two years earlier. And he gives them a hard teaching, and the crowd deserts him. He turns to the disciples and says, are you going to desert me too, and Peter comes up with one of his famous good lines. It says, Lord, who would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Sometimes, man, Peter hit the nail right on the head, and that was one of those times. But the crowd, they turned away from him then, and they are, going, are about to hear. But we find the crowd saying, you are the king of Israel. You are the Messiah. And they're quoting scripture. They're actually quoting Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. You are here to rescue us. Is that true? That's absolutely true. Jesus was there to rescue them, but they're, they kind of missed the mark, didn't they? They thought they were there to rescue them from Rome. So, were they, was he here to rescue them from Rome? No, not at this time. He was here to rescue them from sin. Jesus saw the bigger picture. I think we see a glimpse of a joyful Savior who was able to see something bigger than the oppression of Rome. He saw the oppression of sin, and he rescued them from this present evil age by dying on the cross and defeating death. They had no idea that they were a part of this process. So as the bigger picture goes, the crowd wanted to be alleviated from their current suffering. Save us now. O come, O come, Emmanuel. That song is a lament. Did you know that song? It's in the minor when we, when we play it. And when you play a song in the minor, it, it gives you a, a natural heart cry out to God God save us. Come, oh come, Emmanuel. God is with them right now, right? God is with them. That's like, whoa, God's with us, right? So that's exciting, but he's not there for the reason that you think he's there. Even the disciples are getting deceived in this um, thing. But we find Jesus coming in an unwritten colt of a donkey. To Israel, this is a king at peace. Okay, a donkey written by was written by all the house of David. They they rode on a donkey. A lot of times you find after uh, David gets into some trouble, uh, Absalom goes after one of his brothers. You see the seventy donkeys coming back into town. It's because they're all riding on donkeys. Those were all descendants of David. Okay, so there's some symbolism there, and who? in their right mind, would ride an unbroken colt, a year-old colt, never been ridden before, through town of people screaming at Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna, and waving things at it. I don't know about you, but I've ridden a few animals my day. They don't appreciate things waved at their face and shouting at them. You just don't do it. And if you just broke it the day before or just right when you got on it, It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen unless you are the prince of peace, right? Only if you're the prince of peace and the king of glory could you do something like this. The disciples would have known this. The owner of the cult would have known this for sure. The crowd doesn't necessarily know this. The people, they saw this. They wanted this. They wanted Jesus to be a pre package deal they wanted oh I'll take him a la carte I think I'll I'll leave out the pickles and the lettuce but I'll take the onions and the the peppers and because I like my Jesus it's a little bit more spicy right that's yeah exactly right and so we, we try to pick out our ingredients that we want to find and that we want to fit into Jesus. So I want Jesus' love. I want his peace. I want his protection. But I don't want his discipline. I don't want his judgment. And sometimes that can get us, can it? Because Jesus remained faithful to the unfaithful. He remained faithful to the fickle. Doesn't I don't know? Fickle just seems like it just is like the opposite of faithfulness. Somebody that has potential to be faithful, but right at the last minute they opt out. You know, it's like oh, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, that kind of drives me crazy. Uh, as a, it just does. Especially in youth ministry over the years. Hey, you gonna be there on Wednesday night? Oh yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. Oh, and at the last minute, there. Like, some people never planned on being there, and I I can. I can usually figure them out. So, oh, yeah, I'll be there next week. You say that every week, so I already know. But then it's like, yeah, I'll be there. And then, and then they reach out and say, hey, I'll, I won't be. That's different. But when they consistently are like, yay, and I'm like, no, nah, that, that's hard to be faithful to them, isn't it? I, I can just let you know, to this pastor, it's very hard to be faithful to that. Um, but I'm getting over that, too, because Jesus sets an example right here, doesn't he? Isaiah 53, 6, it says, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path and follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all, or the iniquity, as some say. He was faithful even when we were not. Another thing he was faithful to, he was faithful to the Father. Right? He was faithful to the people, as we just talked about. He was faithful to the Father. Even today, people want Jesus to be their Savior, but not their Master. They want Jesus to save them from hell, but they don't want to submit to Him in Lordship. And that's difficult. I think we can get in that a lot. We want to be our own Lord. I can control us. I can understand. I got this, right? But. The Lord says, no, let me, let me get this. I think a lot of people, they'll get to the judgment seat, and they'll walk up ready to go into heaven, and they will announce, hey, Jesus, I identify as saved. That's right, so you should let me in. And that's not how it works, because who's in control there? I am, right? God doesn't work that way. God is in control. He has always been in control. And woe to you who think differently. Like maybe seven woes. Hey, guess what? Jesus goes in right after this, right after this exact moment, he goes and tells us the, he does a lot of things, but one of the things he does is he gives the seven woes to the Pharisees. Woe to you. Uh, you vipers, you brood of vipers that, oh man, he just lays into them seven different ways. And wow, if they weren't sure about killing them before, they definitely are sure now. But the Lord will turn to many and say, depart from me, I never knew you. And we know this from Matthew chapter seven, verse 21 through 23, I'll read it. It says, not everyone who calls on me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Christian, our actions show our heart's motives. When someone lashes out at us, it does not give us permission to lash out at them, does it? And as I've said many times before, and I'll say it again, you can't expect non-Christians to act like Jesus, right? That's our job. They can treat us however they want, We have to treat them like Jesus would treat them. Bless you, neighbor. (laughs) That's not easy to do, is it? That is not easy to do. But love requires sacrificial action. If you haven't ever heard that one from me, I guess you should come on Wednesday night because we just talked about that a whole bunch with the youth. Love requires sacrificial sacrificial action there's things that I don't want to do but if I want to show love to my wife I know how to do them and it requires me to get off my high horse and off my tired couch and go and serve and with my kids as well play with me daddy play with me daddy right No, I'm so tired. Um, To love sacrificially means I have to get up off the couch. My kids are all listening. Oh, it does? (laughs) Jesus died for you and I because that's the way God said it had to be. We're going to make this right. It's going to require sacrificial action. Did God want Jesus to die? Did God want to give up his one and only son? Did God want to put his throne at risk? No. We didn't really care, though, because we keep sinning. (laughs) You know? That, That was on us. All those risks that were involved were because we sinned. And God was worthy of the challenge. Jesus was worthy of the challenge, and he did it willingly, and in good favor with us, because Jesus never changed his message when he was on mission. Let's follow these examples, these three ways of faith, hope, and love. Now, as I mentioned before, it's important to note that between verses 19 and 20, there's a lot of things that happen. So Jesus gets into the city. There's a lot of things. There's parables that were given. Um, Matthew 24 is given, the seven woes to the Pharisees, I believe, were given at this time. I'm not 100% sure about that one. Uh, But there's a lot of plotting that happens at this point. They're like, yes, we have a plan. Judas starts um, probably doubting Jesus at this point, but he he betrays him later, um, straight up later, I guess. So that's when Jesus washes the disciples' feet in a couple of chapters here. So let's move on to 20. He gets into the city things are happening and some greeks who have come to jerusalem for the passover celebration they paid a visit to philip who was from Bethsaida in galilee and they said sir we want to meet jesus philip told andrew about it and they were together they they went together to ask jesus jesus replied Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter His glory. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted into the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because... My servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Jesus gives hope to the people. He gives people hope. The Greeks, it says here, they were probably Grecian Jews that came in from, out. it's a festival, so anytime you see a festival, that means that you travel into um, town to be there with them. They wanted to see Jesus, and there's something about Jesus that draws even our attention today, isn't there? There's something that's noteworthy about Jesus that we just want to know. i gotta, I got to know about this, right? And so we, they wanted to see Jesus. However, in John, as we have studied, if we see the town Galilee we will find that Jesus is about to reveal a truth there. Because why in the world would they say uh, that Philip, who was from Bethsaida, Galilee, unless he had something, some, a little meaning in there, and I think this is interesting. It's something that Baruch as I've studied through John with Baruch, he points this out every time, and I haven't, but it's just uncanny that every time Galilee comes up, Jesus is about ready to reveal a major truth. And so he also points out that he is from Bethsaida, which means house of hunters. So we're searching, we're hunting for the truth. These Greeks are the people. They wanted to see Jesus, but I think they wanted to see Jesus as a superstar king. He's a healer. He just healed Lazarus. We want to see him. Jesus has got the crowd. What did the Pharisees say? They're all going to him. It's too late in a sense. There's no way we can stop the crowds from swaying. They knew they were a fickle crowd. They knew that they were in trouble. They're losing the popularity contest. But was Jesus here for a popularity contest? No, because if he were, that would distort his message. And he's not here for that. He reminds them why he's here. He reminds them of the mission of the Father. That we must remember that Jesus is in it for the long haul. And that he was here at the beginning of time. He saw a man fall. And he'll be here at the end of time when he restores everything back to God. And he's here at this point of time to restore us from the sin. And he has plenty of opportunity to become the king, the known king of the world, to become the ruler. Everything that Satan had promised him when he wandered in the desert, he could take it once again. And he reminds his disciples that's not why I'm here. That's not why I've come. And Jesus is big on timing, isn't it? Isn't he? Especially in the book of John. He says, my time hasn't come, my time hasn't come, my time hasn't come. He walks through the crowd because his time hasn't come. He slipped out because his time hasn't come. But we know here it says in verse 23, he says, now my time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. Why does he use the title Son of Man? Because he's come to fulfill the prophecy that we find in Daniel, that Jesus is restoring our sin nature in a sense and rescuing us from this present evil age, right? He could have said the Son of God, but it doesn't say Son of God. He says the Son of Man. Son of God, our spiritual selves need rescuing in a sense, but our Sinful self is what's got to be burnt off. And that's what Christ came to do. He came to die. He is foreshadowing that he came to die and redeem us from the debt of sin and death. He is about the hope of the perfect sacrifice. There's no longer need for blood sacrifice because Jesus' blood paid it all, all to him So, verse 24 is concerned about the message in the mission. He once again reminds his disciples not to distort the message of why he's here. A kernel of grain must fall to the ground. Because if it doesn't die, it will not produce a new crop. He's saying that he is that kernel and that he is about ready to produce a new crop, a new set of disciples a new church so i ask us today where is our focus is it on jesus or is it on us jesus challenges all his fellow followers in verse 25 those who love their life in this world will lose it those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity And I like this translation of the New Living Translation, how it hits that. It says, Those who love their life in this world will lose it. It says, I think, in the New King James or the King James, it says, Those who hate their life. But it means to be able to put yourself aside, is what it means, like this. If we love our life in this world, we will lose it. Um, But if we don't, you know, if we are able to put others in front of ourselves, Will gain eternal life. Does our hope rest in solving our current situation? That's something we need to ask ourselves. Is your hope in Jesus Christ reliant on your current situation? I've seen this several times. I've I even had relatives that would be that will do this. You ever have a friend that will show up in church? when life's not going their way. It's trouble, and as soon as everything gets worked out, they don't, you don't see them in church anymore. It's great that they come to God in their pain, but they got to come to God in their glory as well. And we've stuck on that theme throughout this whole year. So if we're some people are, are willing to give God their pain, but they're not willing to give their God their glory. Some people are willing to give God their glory, but not their pain. Right? They want to identify in that. I'm the greatest. And so I can I can take the glory, but I I don't want the pain because that takes me out of my identity. Or I'm, oh, woe is me. Look at look what I've done. Oh no. I I can't I can't do this. And they they Identifying that pain. Christ doesn't want us to identify either one of those. He wants us to identify in Him. So our hope doesn't rest in solving our current situation. Lord, if you would just fix this, then I will fill in the blank, right? I can even do that sometimes. I've done it. The the famous case is when you're in high school and you forget there's a test, and you're like, Lord... If you just help me remember everything that I learned, or if you get to a deadline at work, Lord, if you would just help me wing this speech, I'd be forever grateful. Oh boy. Is our faith conditional on our hope? Sadly, to say it probably is, honestly. We, probably be, we're a lot more conditional than what we, what we should be, right? Or does our hope rest in looking outside ourselves and seeing a big God? Jesus saw the bigger picture, didn't he? He saw that he had to die on the cross. You can have the glory right here, Jesus. You can have it. His disciples are like, oh, yeah, we'll take the glory. Yeah. Hey, come to, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. See Jesus. We'll make a spectacle of Jesus. And when it comes to speeches, we don't have to worry about that because he's pretty much amazing at those too. So we can win the crowd, we can win their hearts, we can go take off in Rome. We're set to go. Here we go. And when we got to feed the army, he can feed the army. When we gotta smote the Philistines or the Romans that are in front of them, God does that for us back in our history, right? And he's God. So we're good to go. Could Jesus have done all those things? Absolutely, he could. But he didn't, because he stayed. On mission because he spoke it in his message. Jesus puts himself to the same test between him and the father. He is deeply troubled about it. Don't think that this was not hard on Jesus. Don't think that this was an easy decision for him. He deeply was troubled about it and he wrestled with the answer. And I believe his answer comes with joy and excitement. This is why I came. Hallelujah. Praise God. This is why I came. You'll see. You'll understand. In about nine days, (laughs) right? After he's risen from the grave, because Jesus never changed his message, especially when he was on mission. Let's follow his examples in these three ways, faith, hope, And finally, we get to love. Verse 27 through 33 says, Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. A little foreshadowing from the last point, right? Father, bring glory to your name. And they all went about their business, right? No, God responds to them. It says, the voice spoke from heaven, saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, this, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judgment in this world has come, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. He stayed on mission. He kept the message foreshadowing, telling people, this is why I've come. It's interesting. It says, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. A time of judgment of the world has come. Jesus loves with sacrificial action. He's willing to give up the glory. He's willing to give up this life so that we might live. Verse 27 may look like Jesus is saying, should I cut and run? Should I get out of here? But I believe this is for our benefit that it was recorded and not a real question. Jesus answers his own question with, no, this is why I came. Jesus came to set the example for how to love. I believe he also, he's declaring that he will win. Before the match had even started, he declared himself the winner. That's a lot of confidence. But that's a lot of power in God, amen? So I believe he declares he's going to win and To this, God replies, I've already brought glory to my name and I will do so, again, by speaking God reveals himself to those in the crowd. And when God shows himself in a big way, I think his expectations for faith become a lot bigger. You look at The children of Israel, when they're wandering in the desert, when God shows up, they understand that they are sinners. I think this is when God wanted to show himself in a big way already. He said, no, we can't. We can't take this. Have Moses go up on the mountain. We can't do this. We need an intercessor between God and man. You are too holy. You will kill us with your holiness. Can you see how Moses foreshadowed Jesus? Jesus went up on another mountain and he laid his life down for us that we could be saved. God reveals himself once again. He speaks to the crowd. They hear the voice of God. Some deny it right away and say it was thunder. Some say it was an angel that spoke. But God shows up in a mighty way and he demands a response. And I think, meanwhile, if, meaning if God shows himself to you and is faithful, I re- recommend that you show faithfulness as well. Because if God moves a mountain-sized problem in your life, and we respond incorrectly, we better watch out for the consequences that follow. Now, am I saying that God's going to have major consequences for... Um, major disobedience. That's not really what I mean. But what I mean is when God shows up in a big way, reveals himself to you, like for me, he called me into ministry. If I were to deny that calling now, there's going to be big consequences as a pastor for this. If God has moved a mountain in your life, and you can clearly see the only way that this mountain was moved was from God then you better watch out on how you live. You might want to honor him in that. Because if you don't, it's not going to go well. Okay? If you start prioritizing other things in front of God, in front of God's church too somewhat, mostly God, but a little bit of his church, because that's how he's going to work through. We respond incorrectly, we better watch out. I gave you the example of Moses before. Another example is Moses, he struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock because God was transferring that authority back to himself and away from the staff. And he didn't get to see the promised land, did he? There were consequences because God directly spoke to Moses. And if God directly speaks to you, he expects direct obedience. Whoa. Cain... He saw God, definitely heard him, and he killed his brother. Who was Cain concerned about? He was concerned about Cain. Oh, this punishment's too heavy for me. He was concerned about the judgment. It's, you see the foreshadowing here? Jesus is talking about these things, and then he's talking about judgment. We need to be paying attention. God showed up with His voice. It's for your benefit, not mine. You better be ready for the judgment that's going to come. You have a decision to make. Justification. Salvation through justification. I am a sinner. I surrender to the Lord. I want to live a life of of surrender. That's sanctification. Okay. Defining a few of those Christianese terms for you. David sees this with... God saved him from Saul, God promised him big many things. David gets lazy and lost some of his sons and almost his kingdom for it, right? We notice in verse 30 Jesus is declaring victory before it was even put he was even put on trial. Everyone will see what is going to happen. What's going to go down this week? Everybody will see what Jesus is doing. Likewise, when we surrender to Jesus, love will show up in our sacrificial actions. When we show compassion to somebody that's being a little rough around the edges, they notice. When somebody raises their voice and you keep a voice of peace, they notice. When you meet hostility with kindness, they notice, right? Likewise, when we surrender to Jesus, love will show up in our sacrificial actions because when I surrendered to Jesus as master, I received victory for obedience, a.k.a. faith in action. Faith requires Action. Love requires sacrificial action. Do you see how they kind of work together? Obedience is worked through faith. Faith starts out, well, if I get this done, and then if I, if I follow this and I, I end up where they want me to go, we can see that because they got there, right? They had faith that, that they were going to be able to get there, but they got there because they obeyed. Obedience is a big deal with faith. It goes hand in hand It comes down to this. Whatever we are dealing with, God is bigger than it. And when he he sees us through, he deserves the glory. Here's a great example. I like to follow the Olympic trials and things as as they're coming up. And as anybody heard of Sydney McLaughlin, she is a 21-year-old who won the 400-meter hurdles, and she set the world record already, and she's just trying to make the team kind of thing, right? She is an American. Uh, She set the 400-meter world record in the Olympic trials. She beat the current world record holder in that particular race by like three-tenths of a second. And the, girl was on, the other girl was on pace to match her world record time. And this girl pretty much smashed it by three-tenths of a second. So when she was asked, how does this make you feel? What, what do you feel like? How do you, how do you feel? What a loaded question there, too, especially because she obviously feels great. That's what they want to hear. They want to hear how wonderful she is and how, how she worked so hard to do this. And she didn't give them any of those answers. She kept going on and on and on. You can read you can see this on several interviews about how she gave God the glory, how wonderful God is, and how she worked God's plan for her life to get this done. And then they asked her again, and she gave she lauded her coaches. She switched to a new coach. We worked his plan, and we worked. God is good, and he's just so awesome, and kept going on about it until the interviewer had to quit because she wouldn't wouldn't talk about herself. She wouldn't do it. I was so impressed by this uh, Sydney. She's 21 years old, somebody I'm going to be following in the Olympics, and setting a great example and um, can run hurdles way faster than I could ever right? It's, it's so cool to see. And she had the correct response. When we get the spotlight, Jesus got the spotlight. He shifts it to God. Sydney got the spotlight. She shifted it to God. When we have an opportunity to get the spotlight, let's shift it to God. Do you remember our first Sunday here? Do you remember what was written all over our doors? There was a welcoming committee from the the tag crew of of Bellevue, Illinois. You know what we got to do at noon that day? We were on the the 5 o'clock news that night. Evan Finley was out here. And we had the opportunity to take our pain, our suffering, our, look, we've been oppressed by all these people. Did Evan do that? No. He gave God the glory. It's our first Sunday open, and guess what? We get to advertise to all Peoria on the evening news. Look what he did. Praise God. He is doing amazing things here, and we had an opportunity to um, to press charges on that that people, and, and we did not do that. We were able to have them. They wrote an apology letter. I think is what we asked them to do for us. Yeah, and we've never had another problem since because we gave God the glory. We gave God the pain. Right? We stuck to the message through the mission, and we did that with faith, hope, and love. Don't get your eyes on yourself. Don't get your eyes on the pain or the glory, because it's not going to lead you anywhere. Keep your eyes on Jesus, because then you can walk on water. Amen. Let's pray. Elders, if you want to come up for communion, that'd be wonderful. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that we could be here um, and um, that you are a blessing to us, Lord. The example that you set just is amazing how you came in with delight and in praise. And Lord, uh, what a wonderful God. What a wonderful thing to see and the conviction that you had to do it, Lord. Even when the world was giving you accolades, you kept your blinders on and kept your focus on the Lord. And Lord, as we come to take communion this morning, we ask that you would forgive us and turn our hearts to you once again.